1: Welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, we're talking about the house that Jack built. I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining me to talk about Lars's latest. From Little White Lies and very much happy at home in Jack's house, it's Hannah Woodhead's.
2: Hi, thanks for having
1: me. And from The Independent, and perhaps ready to raise this construction to the ground, Clarice Luffrey joins us as well.
3: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm ready for destruction. <laughs>
1: Excellent to hear. Hannah, you, you're, you're very happy to be building this from the foundations. Love every brick in this wall.
2: <laughs> I'm a Jack Booster, as, yeah. <laughs> as a, um, I'm referring to us, our collective. I uh, was waiting for this, been waiting for this since Cannes and uh, saw it, ready to
3: defend it, ready to go to bat for
1: Lars. And Clarice, you're happy, as I said, to, to bring it down brick by brick.
3: <laughs> yeah, I saw it more recently and went, meh. Yeah. so it's the opposite
1: <laughs> reaction in every single way yeah and perhaps perfect for this podcast and maybe the the worst reaction that lars could hope for i'm i'm very much uh kind of middle ground i'm I'm amber on this film and i'm i'm ready to be persuaded by either of you <laughs> uh normally on this show we we Trying to champion the quality, uh, independent (laughs) highlights of the week. Uh, So it's not often that I I get to swing both ways on a film. So I'm excited (laughs) to to delve into this one. Um, But first of all, before we talk about Jack, maybe let's talk about Lars von Trier um, and his career up to this point. Uh, Hannah, were you excited? Did you have high expectations? What What did you like beforehand? What did you dislike about Lars?
2: Um, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm a a, a von Trier apologist, not for him as a person. I think uh, you know he has his own. Problems, uh, but I like the Infomaniac. I'm one of those people. I like Melancholia. I'm, yeah, I, I've been following his career kind of since I got into films. And I was, th- this is, I mean, the second it was announced, I was like, this is up my alley. I'm a serial killer f- film enthusiast. I was gonna say, serial killer <laughs> enthusiast. No, no. Um, and I love Matt Dillon. It's nice to see Matt Dillon getting a good role after all those years of terrible films including Herbie Fully Loaded um, so yeah I was. Th- this was like tailor made for me and I kind of I as a critic you don't want to pre-judge a film and go in like I'm going to love this but I did go in like I'm going to love this and I was happy to prove it right mm.
1: okay Clarice yourself
3: I think I went in with actual no real expectation because I am very mixed on Osmond Trier I think there's this scale with him that when he's making films that are for us, I guess, and about humanity, even if they're, you know, completely like nihilistic and, and depressing, I, I love that. But I think the more that he's realized that he's a provocateur, the more that he started making films for himself. And <laughs> I I just don't have time for a provocateur. And so I think whenever I can see him switching into that mode that's when I just switch off emotionally and mentally, and I just go right on, on you go. Just do. Yeah.
1: It. <laughs> so, <you're> about <laughs> more for a, a melancholia. Yeah, so that's
3: the thing. I I love Breaking the Waves, and I love Melancholia. Those are my Lars von Trier movies.
1: Mm. So the titular Jack, Hannah, you've already mentioned you're a, you're a serial killer fan. Sorry, no, not that serial <laughs> killer movie I, fan. I've got to make the distinction
2: to the to you know the the viewers and the listeners that I'm not a fan of serial killers.
1: <laughs> um, now I think it's. Not a coincidence that serial killers or like murder shows, podcasts—they're huge at the moment. And maybe Lars is buying into a subject that he knows is going to instantly get people to grapple with. Uh, I'm thinking making a murderer, uh, S Town serial, these types of programs across <laughs> many areas of the media. Um, and is I mean, is it a worthwhile thing to explore? Like, is is he getting? Is he making a new, a new comment on the serial killer genre? Is it a genre?
2: I mean, the first thing that you have to kind of accept about this film is that it's not a film about serial killers. It's a film about filmmakers. And um, I had the pleasure of having a chat about this with Lars. And he said he's not he's not a serial killer guy. He doesn't buy into this genre. He did call it a genre. He um, said that he, he wasn't really interested in it until... Um, he got married and then he got married again and his wives were interested in serial killers. And he said, and this is what I find interesting, doing this uh, podcast with Carice is that he said it's a female thing. Like, women are obsessed with serial killers. And I, I kind of dispute that. I think that if you look at the kind of um, breakdown of who's watching these programmes, who's buying these books, it probably is more of an even split. But for me, I think it goes back even further than the kind of podcast boom that we've seen and the TV with... Uh, David Finch's Mindhunter and I think it's we're fascinated by the idea of something that is so different from our societal feelings around death and murder and it's a safe kind of danger safe exploration watching a film about it or reading a book or listening to a podcast you can remove yourself from it and I think maybe one of the things that for me this film brings to the surface is that you can't disassociate from it. it is so kind of brutal and you can't switch off you've been forced the whole time to really get into it there's no cut away from the violence in this it's like sit there and look at it kind of uh orange style like pin your eyes open violence
1: yes. um and it's almost using that violence and the topic as an access point to talk about other things as well i mean you mentioned uh, this isn't a film about serial killers, <laughs> it's a film about filmmakers. And I was maybe gonna go into that a bit later trying to separate the Sorry. plot of the film and sooth <laughs> in love like no. But um I think that that's the conversation that everyone's having about this film that Jack has almost become a sideline character and everyone is talking about Lars von Trier as the main character of this film. Uh, Clarice, I know that that for you is not something that we re- that really should have happened.
3: Yeah, I think, because I have to admit, I'm also kind of a, wait, what are we calling it? A serial killer, enthu- not enthusiast. <laughs> in, in, you know, just a... <laughs> I was going to say fan. Fan's worse. Yeah, I'll just be straight with it. I'm a, I'm quite a morbid person. Yeah. I'm right. a very morbid person. And so I think films and you know films about serial killers are always quite attractive. I really loved My Friend Dharma, which was from earlier this year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Time is passing so quickly. Um, and so... I think part of that disappointment almost was that you go into a film about a serial killer and then you're like, this is not about a serial killer at all. (laughs) I think the only reason that the character is a serial killer, that he's made that decision is because he's very interested in the idea of predator and prey because we saw that in Nymphomaniac with that idea of the the jaguar and the, I don't know what it had in its mouth but you see that recurring image of the jaguar with the prey in its mouth and so here he's thinking right what is the human equivalent of the jaguar in society and it's a serial killer I guess <laughs> so you know that's the most extreme version of it and so I don't even know if Lars von Trier is aware of the like all these murder podcasts. I, d- I don't really know how in tune he is with pop culture. <laughs> I imagine he just sort of, I don't know, sits in a hut somewhere and just <laughs> <laughs> comes up with these ideas. So I think it, it is, as a film, culturally, is completely detached from everything that's going on at the moment. I think it's very much its own little thing. Yeah, but, I
1: mean, it feels like maybe he's, after Nymphomaniac, he's kind of heightened the level of depravity just to get people talking about it right uh so Nymphomaniac for me which I actually really liked it felt like Lars von Trier saying I will make the film that people exactly expect me to make oh um, yeah and- big time
2: I mean the advertising <laughs> campaign you know mm. especially coming off the back of his uh, persona non grata status Nymphomaniac was kind of him like going y- you you want Lars von Trier I'll give you Lars von Trier mm. and I think this film's like l- feels m- much less like Provoc- him trying to be provocative than Nymphomania
3: did to me. Oh, I don't... Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, <I'm> trying, <laughs> really? right, like you haven't like, had enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's him going the next step, being yeah. like, oh, you thought you thought you were upset by yeah. that. He's gasping yeah. knowing. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, oh, I'm going to, like, cast myself. Because I, I guess we've not said this explicitly, but, you know, Lars von Trick is jack mm. they are interchangeable and so i think that for him is the ultimate provocation is to go yeah i'm a cinematic serial killer i'm gonna come and get you so i think yeah for me uh this film is just the natural progression it's step two to nymphomaniac i don't know what step three is i'm kind of scared of step yeah. three <laughs> for me i think on-screen violence is always a metaphor so i have i don't think i've ever really been in a position where i've seen a film and i've gone it's too violent i don't like it i think for me, when I find violence upsetting, it's, it's when it's what it represents. It's when the thing that the violence represents mm. is something mm. horrifying or something yeah. really, I don't know, disturbing.
1: Well, um, yeah, I'd like to talk about how, how the violence is represented in the film, because I think what is very interesting and going back to the serial killers uh, programming that we've already talked about is there are acts that Jack performs in this um, that made me think of the show Hannibal. And the way that that show treats the kind of desecration of body parts uh, and the destruction and consumption of them is extremely kind of fetishized and pornographic in a way. Um, and the way that Jack deals with stuff like that is not at all in that way. Mm. I, I don't think Lars is saying, look how cool this act is. I don't yeah. think he, like Jack is not a cool guy. <laughs> Whereas in so many other serial killer programs or films mm. the serial killer is often quite a slick operator yeah mad so, Nicholson yeah. is extremely cool yeah
2: yeah yeah But well, now i agree completely i think that um that's the thing that i like about one of the things obviously um la knows that jack is a loser mm. you know there's kind of no mistake about that the first time we see him he's you know in this car with this these sort of Jeffrey Dahmer glasses and this like beige raincoat on and uh, Uma Thurman like totally just takes him for a ride she's just like you are a sad little man and I am I am gonna do what I want I'm gonna make you take me to the mechanic she you know um he's very downtrodden and for me his violence is kind of like a reaction to how emasculated he feels and it was hard for me to think that it was inherently misogynistic watching this, which is one of the kind of overarching critiques, because I think that Lars is very acutely aware that this isn't acceptable. This isn't normal. This isn't right. And I guess it's the the, the way we would diverge here is, is this metaphor like worthwhile? This mm. kind of like, you know, th- this path he's taking us down? Because it's one thing to say, oh, oh, you know, men shouldn't kill women, but... What what what's Lars getting at here? You can't just show it and then you know infer from that. Am I'm, I I'm, I'm making sense?
3: No, I I <laughs> agree, and I I'm never quite sure whether we could, whether we should put the label. Oh, Lars von Trier is misogynistic. I always kind of struggle with that because mm. he obviously is so horrified by the world that I think the treatment of women is going to be part of that and I think it's just almost part of his worldview of everything's terrible women are awful but also women are terribly treated and I think it's it's hard because that means sometimes the films come across with a sort of malice towards women Mm. and and maybe there even is a malice towards women in his films but I don't know if it comes from a, a strict like I dislike women I think it comes from a I hate the world and women are part of the world and so mm. I hate women too. So mm. I I really struggle with that question when people ask are his films misogynistic? I just mm. I don't know. I feel like I don't really have an answer. Mm. <laughs> I <laughs> think it's <laughs> not helpful. Yeah, but, but
2: but that's that's the case I think especially with this film, you know, there were two prominent female well maybe three Maybe four prominent <laughs> female characters. Um, in these, he, you know, Jack has these... He, is it how many incidents? Six? There are, there are
1: five, five incidents that frame the film. And then the prologue. Um, but, uh, and then an epilogue. Epilogue, sorry. Yeah. Not just the um, prologue. Uh, and these incidents in three cases are also the, the character names of the women involved.
2: Yeah. So not all the women in this film get a name, which, again, I think a lot of people struggle with. The idea that this is, like, just kind of faceless violence against women, which... Yeah, I totally agree, you know. Um, I've, I've read a couple of criticisms that I sort of feel that to him, all women are, in this film, is objects. And I don't think that's... I don't think it's to Lars, I think it's to Jack. But then if you're saying, well, Jack is, yeah. Jack is Lars, <laughs> then it's, you know, where does the film begin and the
3: film end and Lars begin, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think, see, I think... Because that's where my big issue with the film comes in is that I'm sitting here, you know, still unsure whether I think Lars von Ture is most misogynistic and he's come in and made this film that's like I'm such a misogynist oh god you guys all hate me yeah. don't you just hate me and I'm so terrible to women and so to watch this entire sort of I think there's something very self-flagellating about the film and that is my problem with it because he's he's decided that we all despise him and so he's going to make us watch this movie about him being such such an evil because there's i hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler but the film is this conversation between jack and this verge character who is is sort of an otherworldly maybe transporting him to an <laughs> underworld kind of mm. place individual and at the beginning this character goes jack i don't care what you tell me nothing, you know, I've heard it all before, nothing's going to move me or scare me. And then by the end of the film, he's like, you're so evil, you are Satan. And so I think (laughs) when you watch that film with in mind the idea that Jack is Lars von Trier, it's basically Lars von Trier going, oh I'm so evil, oh i have just but so you know, evil. It's, it's just like him
1: giving a nice little pat on the back for himself, like yeah. I lived up to it didn't I? Uh, it made me think of in Nocturnal Animals when there's a book within a book <laughs> and the book is received so well and so dramatically and then you remember that Tom Ford wrote that book within the book and so he's written his own <laughs> critical reception into the film.
3: It's exactly <laughs> that, it's like that awkward thing when a filmmaker makes an assumption about you Mm. and if that if they don't live up to that assumption then you're just sitting there going what is this like what why are you making me go through this (laughs) journey with you that I didn't want to go on in the first place Um, Bruno Gans is like
2: the unsung hero of this film he has this very flat German voice and he's just like oh Jack you really (laughs) are an evil man and it's so beautiful because I think you can totally read it like Carissa said is this kind of like him getting progressively more discussed And he says, he says towards the end he kind of says something like you really are a sick man or something but to me it sounded so sarcastic and so oh you think you're something don't you you really think you're something I, I, I don't want to spoil it but the epilogue is so like bitingly sarcastic to me that it became increasingly obvious that Jack is I, I I think I said this in my review. He's like a sad, strange little man, and I know I am quoting Toy Story now. He's a sad, strange little man, and he has my pity um, because he does something that is so such a perfect. I can't think of a better way to illustrate male hubris than the way this film ends. It is such a kind of biting. Like this is a man who will literally think so much of himself, he will do the ultimate kind of like something you would really, really have to have a total disconnection between who you are and what reality is Mm. to do and i think maybe that's why i really connected to this film is that i think it's lars saying yeah i am a bit of a bastard and i don't really know what to do about it but again if you're kind of sick of that and sick of lars as as an entity the lars montreal show which is what this film could have been subtitled um fair enough you know totally fair i can understand the the fatigue he is an exhausting filmmaker yeah. you know that he is constantly not only putting his audiences through a film but through himself and when you look at the there's a bit in this film and i'm sure that we can talk about this because everyone has talked about it where he puts his own films in the film yeah. <laughs> and he does a lot there's a lot of montage a lot of quick cut to cultural images and cultural iconography because as I've already said it's a film about filmmaking it's a film about art it's a film about the the film as an object and it's so kind of self-aware in that way I can totally understand why people would be like I I just want Lars to make a film that is a film and a story and not a film that is actually something else
0: planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince
1: Yeah. Um, I think something uh, that we briefly mentioned about Nymphomaniac since Melancholia, he is very much more openly opened up dialogue with audiences within <laughs> the film. Uh, so in Nymphomaniac, you've got the Stellan Skarsgård character who in that film, he's willing to listen. Like he is... Um, presented at the start of it as quite an open character who at times is sympathetic, but um, maybe come the end of it will Ugh. turn on Lars. And I think that that's <laughs> him viewing us, the audience or critics, that we might be open to something, but eventually we will savage it. Um, whereas in House the Jack Built, the audience surrogate is this verge who's having that dialogue with Lars But here he has made the audience someone who's already giving Lars passage to hell. So it's like (laughs) in this film, he has already decided what the reaction is. He's already said the audience is going to want to drag me down for this.
3: Mm. And it's also, you know, you can make a film saying I'm a very, very bad man. Well, there's nothing I can do about it because I think you know to fit this film into you know his entire body of filmmaking i think his whole opinion of the world is very you know it's very clearly like it's terrible we can't fix it you know like melancholy let's just crash a, a planet into it <laughs> it's, it's just awful i don't want to deal with it and so i think maybe i'm viewing the film through that lens but the ending for me was very much I'm a terrible man, there's nothing I can do about it, I guess I'm just going to... It's like <laughs> when like a boyfriend will break up with somebody by saying, I'm just so messed up, you know? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just such a messed up guy, and like you deserve better than me. I think that is the film for me. It's that boyfriend giving that whole speech, and then they walk off and you go... <laughs> well, are you going to do anything about it? Does <laughs> mm, that make sense? Particularly
1: when I think something like Melancholia does actually have, re- <coughs> seem to have real characters in it, like real mm. people who you do feel sad for the end of the world happening to them, whereas yeah. I'm not sure... There's,
2: I think there's one character in this film that you would that feels like a real character, and it's the character that Robert Keo plays. So she's only referred to as Simple, um, because that... she does. She, I'm sure she has a real name in the film, and I'm just forgetting what it is, because I think Jack, in, when he's introducing her, says she was called, but I called her simple. And,
1: yeah. And yeah, I anyway. think perhaps the, the fact that the credits of the film and. Uh, yeah, as, exactly. As yeah. Jack slash Lars's film that she's.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, and and I think it was a credit to Riley Kio, I mean, I think she, she's only in it for like what, 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes tops. Um, I mean, she's great. She's great at everything. She's great. This could be the Riley Keogh podcast if I had my way. I concur.
1: There's one guy we need to talk about, and it's Matt Dillon, number one fan club member over there, Hannah. He Um, looks like
2: Sam the Eagle from Sesame Street, and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Go away and Google Sam the Eagle. You'll
3: see what I mean. I'm thinking it right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Eyebrows. It's the eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. It's slowly coming together.
1: When we edit this together on video, I have a little. Can we, <laughs> can we get side by side on the two. And they
3: come in from opposite directions and just meet in the middle. And then fuse into Over one Over the credits, yeah. in fact. Over then the, the credits. Then
1: the, when the transition happens, because we have the X Files music. So. <laughs> Production values <laughs> through the. room <laughs> But yeah, Matt Dillon's great. You mentioned um, my friend Dharma already. Um, I think like he's dressed up that way he's got the glasses the trench coat is he's got the transparent trench coat from american psycho he's got all these he has a,
2: a lot of like looks in this mm. <laughs> he's serving looks yeah. um he goes through a lot of i mean this is set over 20 years so he's obviously going to go through like some transitions i guess in that period but yeah when we we start out he's very much at the beginning of his co- career <laughs> oh horrible word yeah. um uh, he's on the beginning of his journey to the ultimate kind of the house, the house that he will build. Um, And yeah, he looks kind of like, you know, like a bank account, you know, like a tax inspector or something. He's very like, you know, you wouldn't look at him twice. Uh, But then we see him later on and he when he's with uh, Riley Keough, for example, he's affected this limp. Um, Which serial killer was it who did this?
1: Dennis Nilsson. Is that it? It
2: might be Dennis Nilsson. He effect- anyway, he affected a limp to convince women that he was um, not a threat to them, basically. Which is kind of what Jack does in this section. He you know he's affected a limp and uh, he, he looks quite handsome. I think actually, he's got you know kind of like a, a leather jacket and you know his very much reminiscent of what he used to look like in the kind of eighties. You know, like a, a heartthrob, I guess, and. It's interesting to me the the transformation we see him undergo from how he looks at the beginning to how he looks by the end of the film.
1: Yeah. Well, I think uh, there's definitely that change in his um, physical demeanour, um, but I think in the performance that really develops across uh, his kind of levels of satisfaction or comfort within this realm of becoming a killer. Um, at the start of the film, he's quite he's quite jittery. He's not got much confidence. He's Kind of sits back in himself a lot, but by the time we get to simple oh, yeah. uh, uh, interaction, he's got a lot more bravado about
3: him. Yeah, he goes kind of from a Jeffrey Dahmer to a Richard Ramirez on the scale yes. of Yes, there
1: we go. There scale
3: we go. Of serial killers, That's what it is. Which I guess, I don't know, does that bring it back to the Lars von Trier thing? Is that, you know, it's Lars von Trier coming to the acceptance of like, yeah, I'm bad. I'm sorry, I'll keep coming it back to It's <laughs> just going to keep coming back to this point of him going, yeah, I'm yeah. bad.
2: There's a, w- when I spoke to Lars about the film, I asked him about OCD because Lars has OCD and Jack has OCD and it, there's a whole segment dedicated to him, uh, a, a, a murder which kind of is hampered by his OCD, shall we say, and his um, his compulsions. And as the film goes on, we see the OCD becoming less of an issue to Jack because he tempers it by focusing on something else, which is killing people. And I talked to Lars about this and I said, you know, it's it's interesting to me that you would choose (laughs) to... uh, In fact, there's a line in the film, oh, um, how funny, a killer with OCD. Um, And Lars said, if we are to take the metaphor that this is about filmmaking, that for him, filmmaking is his murder. He said that making films for him helps his OCD. And as we noticed in the film, like the more Lars kills, the the more (laughs) Lars kills, the more Jack kills, the better he becomes at managing his OCD. I think for Lars, the more films he makes, the better he feels Mm. about his
1: OCD. One thing that ultimately was quite damning, maybe for for me, by the end of it, was that actually I wasn't that shocked by it all. I do. It was almost given like with that makes the shock even. (laughs) <laughs> Is that more shocked that I'm not as shocked? Like, because uh, it's been re- like been spoken about in such way. You're, I was expecting to come out. I don't know, like being sick or something because of what I've seen. But actually, I found I've maybe found o- other works of his more shocking than this.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you said that because I just wasn't. I, f- <laughs> I felt like I wasn't faced by it, and I started to worry. I was thinking, am I turning <laughs> into a, a psychopath because I'm watching this entire film and and watching all these acts of violence and going. Ah, Okay, what's next? (laughs) And I don't know. I guess for me, you know, film on-screen violence, it has to do with the emotions behind it. And I think because all of this is so, I guess, so metaphorical and so clinical and so, you know, because it is so much about Lars von Trier, it's not about murder, it's not about the victims, I think, because the victims are just... I don't know. They're just props. Yeah. When yeah. they die, maybe. you just
2: they, you they are props to him, yeah. literally. Yeah. Perhaps There's a it whole goes kind back of to
1: they're not really being characters because we feel pain on screen so much more when we know who it's happening. Exactly.
2: To. Yeah. Mm. And I think even I think this year as well, like um, there have been some extremely violent films that have come out um, that maybe have affected people. I mean, I was more shocked watching kind of revenge, the Coralie Fargate movie, than I was watching this. I don't know if it is that I've come to expect it from Lars von Trier now so there's kind of nothing he can do to shock me but also yeah I think you don't really care because you're not you don't have time to care there's you know it's just it's easier to disassociate yourself from the violence that's happening when you don't know who it's happening to and that's true in society as well I think Mm, yes, comes right. no um, back to that. <laughs> um, so, where
1: where do we think um, this one lands in the oeuvre of Lars? Uh, is it one that we'll be revisiting um, compared to others?
3: I think we will have to revisit <laughs> it because this is, in a way, his ultimate statement for, for good or bad. I think for me, it's a film I don't have any interest in returning to because. You know, he gave me the message. I've got it. You know, I've understood. And now I can move on with my life. So I don't know. I don't know if it's going to, because, you know, every single one of his films has been so controversial. I think this one being controversial isn't going to make any difference to its legacy. Mm. So I'm not so sure. I think there will be some necessary part of it that, that we will have to keep talking about. You know, every time he releases a new film after this, we'll have to keep referring back to, right, what in this film you know, sort of relates back to what he made next, I
1: guess if that makes yeah, sense. It's becoming it's... this odd Marvel cinematic universe where all of <laughs> everything that came before it is now gonna play into everything after exactly. it and how much uh like as, is that just going to make his audiences get smaller and smaller whilst you've got to be paying <laughs> yeah. attention to and the last if 20 he years? Does, <laughs> if
3: he does anything that comes across as misogynistic in his future films and everyone's going to look back at this and be like, well, what was the point of this film then? If you, Yeah, yeah, if, if you're saying <laughs> you it's you bad, it? what, what's going
2: on here, Lars? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's funny. Um, the image book is out now, I guess, as well. And people have said that feels like the culmination of like um, Goddard's career. And it's him saying like, this, this is it. And that's what the house that Jack built feels like. I think, oh, was it Robbie Collin that called... Uh, it was either Robbie Collin or David Eilert that said it feels like a suicide note, which is like a really dark thing to say, but I kind of get where they're coming from. It feels like a film that you would make right at the end of your career. And as far as I know, yeah. Lars is still... He's, got, he's making another film now. He has no intentions of stopping making films. And something that I'm still wrestling with with this film... As much as I love it, is kind of what is the point here? To you know, what's the point Lars is making? Is it just that life is pain and that's that's it? Because may, maybe it is, and uh, if if that's what he's getting at, then f- fair play. Um,
3: <laughs> you know, it's, it's that yeah. he's a naughty boy. That's yeah. the point of the film.
1: <laughs> he's saying very much so. Come the end of the film that the real house that Jack built was the friends we made along the way.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> And they were used to build the house. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and and I think that that's all we've really got time to talk about. Um, but if you want to fill in the gaps uh, in your Lars von Trierbach catalogue and really catch up with the Lars Cinematic Universe, uh, <laughs> you can do so on Curzon Home Cinema. And uh, on there we've got Breaking the Waves, Dancer in the Dark, Dogville, Antichrist, Melancholia, Nymphomaniacs Volume 1 and 2, both The Regular and Edgelord's <laughs> Cut. And we've also got the house that Jack built too. Uh, and you can they're all up there on Home Cinema for your viewing pleasure.
2: Why not do an all night marathon? Yes. Oh my
1: uh, God. Uh, 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 if anything needs like to ram home, the <laughs> life is pain. The
3: worst time of your life. Come round my house, we'll do it. I watched all the Harry Potters and I thought that was hard. I can't <laughs> imagine doing all the Lars Modrics.
1: I'm sure Lars would be happy to be up there at the level of pain threshold as the Harry Potter films.
3: <laughs> you can have that,
1: Lars. Yeah. All right. And if you've got any thoughts on the house that Jack built, then do let us know by emailing podcasts at curzon.com. We'll save those up for a future show. Or you can always tweet us at Curzon Cinemas as well. Uh, If this is your first time listening to the show, then please do subscribe. You can do that at iTunes on Acast. We're on Spotify now, too. And when you're there, you can leave us a review and comment as well. Coming soon on the podcast, we'll be looking at some of our highlights of the year. And we'll be talking to Mark Gatiss, all about 10 time Biffa Award winner, The Favourite. And that's about it. So I must say thank you to Clarice and Hannah for coming in to thank you share their you. pain with us. It's been
2: fun. I've had fun. <laughs> <yeah. You know.
1: laughs>
2: Exercise some demons. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, and you can keep up with everyone here on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jake H. Cunningham. Uh, Clarice, you are?
3: Oh, I'm at Clarice Liu, which I'm not going to spell, but look at surrounding <laughs> text next to this podcast.
1: <laughs> and Hannah?
3: I am um, Good Job Liz, which uh, is, a, is
2: another last one, Trier reference. Uh, so if you know it, tweet me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time. Bye bye.